This place might be called Cold Station 12, but Archer will always remember it as the Super Bowl of head wounds. Here on Viger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5, my name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, let's not to do too much dicking around, because uh, we've been we t- look, we've spent a lot of time on these episodes, and we only got about 15 minutes of the actual episode in last week, so uh, we're going to continue with uh, Star Trek Enterprise Season 4, Episode 5, Cold Station 12, and where we left off, uh, we were getting to the spot where the augments were going to storm the actual space station. And we were going to have uh, the conversation between Archer and Flox in the mess hall. So I say we just jump in right where we left off and see if we can actually finish this. Sounds like a plan. I'm in. So first we have the augments taking over the station. And really, it's only notable because it's uh, Persis, who is the, uh, the thug in this circumstance. Persis, who has just finished fooling around with Adam Smasher in bed taken off her good sleep tank top and put back on the tattered rags that we will consider her duty uniform. Do you think that the fact that it is nearly see-through on both her tits and ass, uh, a happy accident or entirely planned? This is Berman era Trek, man. Yeah, okay, entirely planned. Why am this I is uh, Mike Viger. I can't say if Mike Viger jumps out as anything especially uh, gratuitous. Although I can't, we can't really lay this on Mike V'ger. This arc started with, uh, what was the last episode? Let's take a look at this real quick. Cause this is interesting, right? You've got these arcs where you're using. Yeah. David Livingston did the first episode. So is it Livingston that's sitting there and saying, all right, this is how we're going to do things. I don't even know if the director would even have any input as to like what the costumes and stuff look like. It's got to be Manny Cotto who's making these decisions, right? It's the only way you'd make a multi-part arc with a bunch of different writers and directors work is you're a showrunner. Sure. It's the one that's kind of like saying, here's the vision and I'm going to do the sort of senior script script supervising to make sure that all works together. Script supervising. Sure. But more practical things. Again, we start getting into, um, wardrobe you know yeah. okay so who's and making who's making the 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 stretchy fabric decisions really and in this specifically with perseus like okay she stacked put her in something ultra low cut that is basically a leotard where we're seeing nipple and full boob outline um specifically and this character is going to persist over three episodes and then here comes Mike V'ger in to punch the clock and go, all right, I'm here to direct. Show me. Okay. There's a, there's ongoing threads already. It makes me wonder if there's like shades of uh, like MCU where it's not really the director's movie. It's uh, Kevin Feige's movie. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that's probably the case with uh, this kind of television directing, no matter what you're doing, right? You're in a universe that a whole bunch of people spent a lot of time developing and you're just kind of doing your bit. And you got a little leeway, but really you kind of have to hit the marks they're asking you to. I am content to say that, yeah, wardrobe then would be completely in the showrunner's court. And it was. So this is Man- Manny Cota's fault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, put on these rags and uh, go beat up some Starfleet 
uh, dickheads over on Cold Station 12. I love that these security guards, they, they see her and they're like, you're not a Denoblian. It's like, man, I, I guess they don't put the best security guards on the the asteroid with all of the murder diseases. Sure. It's yeah. a secret yeah. facility. It doesn't exist on the books. I love that the episode, again, <clears throat> we're in the budget friendly uh, stretch of the show. This is uh, the Walmart great value <laughs> version of special effects where you have a Denoblian medical ship that they have hijacked that has now flown into this asteroid somehow. Keep in mind, this asteroid's what uh, deep enough that like it's heavily protected against weapons fire. They're able to use the uh, the transporter, right? That is correct. It was not so shielded. Yeah, it's not like super deep in the asteroid, but like whatever cool docking facility or whatever this asteroid might have. It all just boils down to this lady walking around a corner in a hallway. She's there. Never mind what the docking protocol was or what sort of inspection or any of that color. Like, you know, you think of like Star Wars, the hey, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> no, just what I'm I'm here. I'm walking around the corner. And you're getting roundhouse kicked repeatedly. Um, interesting, too, is Perseus's take on violence towards humans. Because now uh, we have shown that everybody is on a different page. Clearly, Eric Soong, uh, Rick Sanchez does not want humans needlessly hurt. Uh, Adam Smasher is a homicidal maniac. And as these guys kind of butt heads at different points on how to handle things, you see looks between the augments towards each other, like kind of just some nonverbal communication on like who's right, what's right. Uh, I don't think she is a homicidal maniac per se. I think she's loyal to Soong. More but than she's anything. not pulling punches. New. No. She's barely doing what she's told, but she's doing what she's told. And, uh, you know, they take the place over pretty quick. We do our, get our first look at, of course, at the very special guest star, Richard Riley, who <laughs> is uh, better known as Jump to Conclusions guy from Office Space, but also to us, Samus from both Fairhaven and Spirit Folk. So the best part of those episodes, aside from, I guess, Barkeep Michael, was probably the best part of those episodes. Second best part was which is Richard Riley being in those, and uh, I am well, I'm always happy to see him. You know, he's not an unwelcome picture. God, what if they would have put Barkeep Michael in as uh, the Doctor, and that oh, could have been like fl Flocks could have been Eskimo Brothers with uh, Janeway. <laughs> well, it would also would have been a much more of a studly man. For flocks to be attracted to, you know, we wouldn't have to invent this. Uh, she likes the cushion uh, uh, head cannon, but uh, well, that was already created when he turned down to Paul. Very true. And then Dr. Lucas, though, he's apparently in charge of this place uh, because he has the authority to, like, put everything in lockdown once they get gassed. So uh, we, we wrap that up to return back to Enterprise, and that's where we kind of get into the real good shit in terms of plot uh, with the conversation between Archer and Flax in the mess hall. Um, it starts with some continuity that we've seen before, and that is Flax is starting to pack on the pounds because he has to go into his hibernation cycle 
Do you remember from season one when he was like indisposed? I think when Mayweather was hurt on Ryza because he was uh, wow. in the middle of a was cycle. that really season one? Yeah, Very seems so much more one, recent. Season one, two days, three nights, or whatever. Uh, because Mayweather was getting treated at the local hospital, they did like poisoned him, and I think it was it was uh, Flox's girlfriend, uh, crewman um, Cutler. Cutler, who had to wake him up. So continuity all the way back to season one with him or having. The- was it the one where he had space madness and was trying to dissect Mayweather? No, no, that wasn't. That was not the the hibernation one. It was definitely the Ryza one where they because he was woke up just long enough to treat him and then passed back out like on a bio bed. Yeah, bad comedy. You're right. And that fit with that episode because it was you know the tension breaker. But sure. Um. So he's trying to get ready, but of course he's thinking about his, his, his dude, Dr. Lucas. And eventually they pivot over to a discussion about the eugenics wars, big old continuity lore dump that I found really interesting to go back through and think about what the eugenics wars meant to human development and how humans view themselves and how they've pursued technology. And in particular that Archer relates this finally to conveying to the audience, what happened to his dad, something we've never heard again through all of this. All I could do is go back to the courtroom episode of strange new world season two and just the needless radical departure from the concept that genetic engineering is bad. Or at least that humans have a reason for why they perceive it as bad and have decided not to pursue it. This episode obviously tells that story in a very compelling way. But even in just this conversation where they, you know, they Archer provides a window to say, like, yeah, maybe we're, we're, we've overcorrected because my dad died a hideous death of basically space Alzheimer's mm-hmm. at an early age and he didn't have to. If we had chosen to develop the medical technology that could have prevented that. And that gives him some sympathy towards what Soong's position is. Uh, But 35 million people died. It was a global catastrophe. And it was a global catastrophe because, as we will see, humans are fucking dumb, panicky animals. And if you make some humans so super, almost supernaturally better than others, they're going to try and dominate. They don't know how to do anything else. And because of that, that's why humans don't develop genetic engineering because they're smart enough to realize whatever the fuck is up with us, this is some shit we can't handle. This is some shit that breaks bad every time. I was also surprised that um, his dad died while he was so young. Uh, because his, you know, certainly it's well within Star Trek's wheelhouse to not have these things fleshed out on the front end. So, you know, the way Archer had been acting earlier in the series, you would have thought that he was in his 30s or late 20s when his dad died and really got to struggle with uh, the Vulcan boot on his father's ambitions neck and, and this and that versus Oh, my dad died when I was 11. Uh, Back to your other comment, though, that, you know, these things always break bad. There is a 
supernatural element to Star Trek, which is some things you can't, uh, time will always win. Fate deigns that, uh, you know, jump back to year of hell, space bodikers, you know, cannot. Can't bring his wife back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's other things that have been further fleshed out in Enterprise. Like there will always be a eugenics war. There will always be a World War Four. There will always be uh, these things and they might move around and when they actually happen in the timeline, but they are destined to play out this way. And uh, humans and genetic engineering is one of those things that just is not meant to be successful and humans cannot have. And they, they refuse to release that splat book. I, I want to return to a moment about what you said about um, Archer's dad's death. I think it happening early makes so much sense, though. First, the only time we've ever seen Henry Archer was like literally right before apparently this disease took hold when Archer was a kid and he has these warm memories of his father and like what he was doing and what he was accomplishing. He has this model right spaceship he thought so much about that he brought it out into deep space right and then that leads to the second point which is this is why he holds his father up on such a pedestal because what do young boys do with their fathers they idolize them right they're the most important you know figure in their lives to how to be a man right to how to succeed how to navigate life and when your father dies just as you're beginning to enter that phase of your life when you actually have to start making those decisions for yourself when you're a teenager, he's dead. And that left him extremely defensive of, of his image and his accomplishments and also in a position of permanent hero worship, right? Mm -hmm. Like I never got to move on from this. I never got to know my father as an adult. Um, I, I was denied that opportunity by his disease that basically took him from me before he actually died. And that that is such a good, clear beat to stick this on that makes so much of Archer's personality make sense. Yeah, especially for through those first couple seasons. That's yeah. uh, that's a good point. And and I'm also with you on the whole humanity is not compatible with genetic engineering because it doesn't know how to help itself. Because we're still apes, you know, at the at the at the core, and that's a part of ourselves that we're still working on, and like. That's not unnecessarily uncommon in species in the Alpha Quadrant. Like Vulcans went through that too, right? They just they've got psychotic nature to them as well, and they have to suppress it. They have to ch they have to change themselves and their environment to suppress their their weakness. And in the same way, humans they have a weakness here. It also fits the vibe of Roddenberry Trek at the core, which has always been that Earth's humanities future lies in pushing ever outward um you know the internet for all intents and purposes doesn't exist in roddenberry trek right right humanity didn't, did not turn it we're not itself and say all right let's develop a uh, cyberspace and worry about life on earth and we're just going to continually self-improve earth without leaving earth it was, we're going to go, our, our future is in the stars. And yeah. for like, you move into the first season of uh, next gen. And this is where a lot of that exposition gets put down through Picard when he's debating with Q, like this is how we advance ourselves as a people is by going out and exploring and pushing the limits. It's not by staying 
not that he says this, but you know, the alternative would be that we stay in our own solar system and just revise our own code and self-improve. Like, no, we, we grow through discovery and exploration. So uh, we get our first conflict of the episode between Soong and Archer when Enterprise arrives in orbit around the station and they do a little initial interrogation of Lucas where he claims, listen, buddy, I can't get into where the embryos are. They locked that shit down after you pulled your caper. <laughs> we'll, we'll all jump to conclusions, Matt guy, anywhere near it. <laughs> and he, and soon buys it. Uh, and, and kind of na- matches his sort of good natured element to his character where he's really not the bad guy. And when enterprise shows up, they pull Lucas out as part of the little tit for tat over the view screen and soon threatens to blow his head off with a Klingon disruptor. And Archer is the first one to lose the game of chicken. He does not decide to press his luck with the idea that soon would actually do that in front of everyone and backs off probably because he has a plan B. Uh, but we see already heavy hesitation on Soong's part to commit to violence. Let's talk about Archer. Archer is going into this mission fresh off of saving earth and his camping trip with a uh, captain girlfriend where he has very heavy introspection that he is not happy with the man that he has been forced to become. Um, that the sacrifices that he has made, you know, nuking a lunar, observation base to to keep enterprise from being discovered before they were able to run their suicide mission becoming so, a space pirate just straight sure. stealing shit off of fake to mars ship so it's an interesting and they don't really put a lot of scream time on this but uh, in this moment he chooses humanity and he is willing to risk earth's fate uh, in a war with the Klingons and perhaps an even bigger existential threat, which would be Eric soon waking the rest of these homicidal maniacs up. If he gets his way in exchange for a single human life, maybe again, it's because he does have this plan B. Uh, but I don't think that the archer that we were seeing at the end of season three would have necessarily backed off. Uh, well, I, I think backing off in that moment, makes sense because we see later on in this episode plan C was he was leading himself and his boys into a circumstance where on plan C, they all just die. And he True. was fine with that. Like, okay, I guess plan C is we just blow, blow the whole thing up with me on it sucks, but that's fine. I, I you know, they haven't shed any light on this, but him having the self annihilation complex that we had seen again towards the end of season three, where he forced, you know, he muscles his way and says, it's going to be me running um, the space torpedo to go blow up the death star. Like I've got blood on my hands. I'm a little suicidal right now. Uh, and now unfortunately for the crew of the space station and enterprise, like I'm willing to, to do things the Jane way, which is everybody dies. They are trying to break into the computer on the space station. Uh, but while they're doing that, uh, Adam Smasher comes up to Soong and says, hey, you know how the 
jump to conclusions. Matt guy told you he didn't know how to get into the, where the embryos are. I checked the log. He was in there last week. So, you know, he knows the code. He was pulling at your heartstrings with all that talk about a flickering light in the office. So they pull them out and they, uh, they give them, they, they work them, right? They give them, they, they give them a few, uh, tastes of knuckle sandwich. Og knuckle sandwiches at that. Oh yeah. You got the gorilla arms. There, there are, uh, Archer would have filled this room with cum. With the Odin Vox Sola all yeah, over again. All over in here. If that was him, but it was unfortunately poor old Dr. Lucas. Who's just, you know, R- Rich Riley does a good job of just kind of being like, just fucking getting his shit kicked out of him in this one. I gotta say, it. I feel like it's bad casting. This dude is a comedic character actor, right? Right. Literally, the the last time he was on Star Trek, he's this bumbling, foolish, superstitious hologram that's throwing nets on people and skulking about like it's a Hanna-Barbera Scooby-Doo episode. And now here he is getting the bejesus beat out of him while people ask him questions. And he's like painfully moaning for mercy and while this is all going on, especially when they put the other doctor in the, the torture tube, all I could see was office space when he's like getting bent out of shape with the bobs. Like, you don't understand. I, I, I talk to the goddamn customers, the engineers. They can't, they can't do it. Yeah, man. Give me barkeep, Mike. <laughs> give I me feel- anybody other than this guy who just gets red in the face and yells from behind his mustache. I feel like, it works because he is such a soft kind of like bumbling looking like harmless guy. But the fact he has like the reserve of strength, just like get the shit kicked out of him and then watch the brutal torture and murder of his subordinate and not give him the coats. And he really sells it at the end. in my opinion, so because what happens was they bork him over. He, he says, fuck you. Like literally into Soon's ear. Apparently at one point <laughs> says something that you can't have on television. And that's when Adam Smasher gets the idea of take his deputy and put him in this very convenient kill box where you man sized kill box where that apparently is a pipe that goes to all of the murder diseases. If you thought the Enterprise elevator that goes up flush with the tube where you could just have fingers chopped off left, right. If you thought that was a bad workplace uh, (laughs) red flag. Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> like, imagine, I, have we ever talked about where you work? No, I don't think so. You work around. <laughs> I, work, just... I work around a common substance, a common substance that comes out of the human body. Um, if, every if day. you went into your office and you saw that in the conference room, there was a tube, a man sized capsule that just directly interface with the the city sewage line that could just <laughs> fill with sewage, and it was the perfect size of a human being. You would have to be like, "What the f- is?" This? <laughs> it just seems like do you, so. Obviously, this is for putting people into. Under what circumstances do you choose to use it for that purpose? Like, was how Cold bad Station Twelve? Was Cold Station Twelve initially founded as like a Bacta research facility? And they're like. Mm. This back to stuff. This is just beyond us. This is two Star Wars. Let's just retrofit this entire facility and turn it into um, 
weapons and uh, disease storage. What should we do with this thing that flushes all the Bacta into like the Luke Skywalker tank? Because this is all hooked up with like AIDS and syphilis now. You know what? Just leave it. What do you think like the first space OSHA inspector that came through there said about this? How many times do you think the deputy director was like, man, can you imagine someone getting put in there? (laughs) (laughs) So unfortunately for him, he gets put in there and uh, they give him Cymbeline blood burn. Um, And boy, you want to talk about shit taking a dark turn. Okay. Music starts to go into this sort of driving synth beat, this dark synth beat. And you watch as this guy slowly and painfully dies of whatever this terrible space disease is while begging for his life directly to Dr. Lucas and soon. And also to soon. Yeah. All of the pain top notch acting job on uh, Brent Spiner's part. You mentioned it last week. It's obviously still true this week. Dude is like going through all the emotions as he is trying to get Lucas to break, but is clearly on the verge of breaking himself because he doesn't want to fucking kill this guy. He he doesn't want to kill. So he's able to start off and just beat when you don't have to be the bad guy. It makes being the bad guy easy because you can say, I'm going to do the worst things possible because I know I'm not going to have to go all the way and I'm just going to hit the safety. Uh, and in this little game of chicken between Soong and Jump to Conclusions guy, Soong does not think it's going to go to this point. And, you know, it starts with Soong being the bad guy and narrating, oh, his blood's, you know, his lungs are starting to itch and this and that. And uh, the augments, especially Adam Smasher, just eating up this sadistic display from Soong. Um, little Soong know that jump to conclusions guy, I think probably secretly hates the deputy director and just is like, well, great of all the people from to pull off my staff. This is the one dude I just never got along with. This guy's always eating my cucumber sandwiches out of the break room refrigerator. In this, in this moral uh, struggle, you know, Dr. Lucas has the advantage where he just keeps turning it back around on soon. Like you're the one doing this. You can don't just don't stop killing him. Like just, if you don't want him to die, you should not kill him, right? That's the uh, the position he goes from. Like, why are you allowing this? Just, you know, fuck you. I'm not telling you. Go to hell. He actually just, just tells him, I'm not giving you what you want. You can free, feel free not to fucking murder my coworker in front of me anytime. But I am so, not doing this. So it goes from soon uh, relishing the bad guy position to becoming desperate for jump to conclusions to give him the answer. So he does not have to go to that. And eventually soon finally breaks. He does orders for uh, Adam smasher to administer the antivirus or whatever to stop the, the blood boil disease. And Adam smashers is like, no, I'm not. And that, and that delay is enough for the, the subordinate to finish his terrible death. I mean, it is very gruesome. For, for Star TV, Trek. yeah. For TV, for Star Trek, like this man is just tortured to death and it's very intense. And you, you just kind of assume at the end, like he's going to be saved. And then when he isn't, it's kind of shocking, you know, like it's kind of okay. I want to say Memory Alpha said that got edited on a rebroadcast abroad. Um, 
I imagine it did. I imagine that probably doesn't pass muster with every uh, every every place. When this episode aired in the United Kingdom, they edited out some of the more violent scenes, including the part where Dr. Lucas gets tortured in the close up of the scientists being killed by the virus. This is massive now, right? Uh, I would say this is probably the most important scene out of season four by far, because this is soon being forced to confront the fact that uh, these augments are not sweet children and are not the, the better humanity that he has convinced himself that they are correct. Now he is in this weird, like he's realizing like he might be in the movie child's play. Like Lon Suter might be running around on the floor with a butcher's knife. Like he's playing with fire. Yeah. And he, he realizes now that uh, they might be superior in skill. They might be superior in, in their physical attributes. Uh, but this is bred a moral weakness. So um, you're right. This is the most one of probably the, the hinge point of the whole, you know, trilogy of episodes here where he goes from a clear position of leadership where he's guiding them, where he has a mission, where he has this whole vision of a way it's going to go. And now he's seeing, Oh no, like I already had to sort of forgive a potential murder on the part of Adam smasher that I kind of just got convinced into forgiving him for. But now, now I see like that I was uh, like, he's not stupid, right? He knows immediately. Like, and that's exactly it. Like, uh, and I meant to open the article, the, uh, the podcast with this. Cause I was thinking about it. You might think watching this, that the true superhumans in this episode are the augments, the genetically engineered. Um, how many did he grab? 19, 17, 17. Uh, Eric soon is the superhuman supernatural element in this uh, i've got my handful trying to raise three little girls i can't even imagine what it would take from a human being to raise 19 children let alone um headstrong supermen alone on a fucking asteroid where your only contact with other civilization is orion's slave camps like eric soong's a fucking badass <laughs> and- uh and and exactly two this guy's a super scientist. He's been yeah. blinded by emotion. Once uh, Adam Smasher was able to feed him this thing about like, oh, no, I killed your favorite kid, you know, because he pulled a knife on me. Now you're watching this shit happen. And it's difficult with a resume of data, lore, fuddy-duddy old Noonien Singh and a variety of holodeck characters for Brett Spiner to really flex emotional muscle. And I think this guy is just making up for seven years of robot man restrictions in his performance here of like soaking this in getting to be the bad guy, you know, like, but like have depth, not just be cartoonish lore. Uh, This guy's making up for it in these moments and then just playing emotional catch up and putting on just a hell of performance. And I think the fact it's such a familiar face to being able to see him act in this capacity is a real treat. It is. No, it and is. On top it, of the fact, like, hey, uh, my children might be man-eating monsters out of Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, also, I've got the Starfleet flagship gunning for us right now. Like, 
he's in a real bad place and there's blood all over my hands and a fucking, you know, mutilated corpse over there. Like is, do I back off the mission and put my hands up and say, you got me. I was wrong. I need to go back to prison and all these guys need to stand trial for murder or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, or do we push through rescue everybody else and uh, the ends justify the means? While this is happening, Enterprise launches Plan B, which is a long-distance six-person transport, which I thought was quite interesting to see. So it's Phlox, apparently the only time he uses a transporter on Enterprise, by the way. Smart man. Uh, this is the episode where Phlox dies. Uh, it, it's uh, Snipe, Archer, and then some Makos. And they are... Boy, you want to talk about like putting pushing the transporter to the limits. It's like, that's a small pad. That is the max amount of people it can take. And they are at the max range. And like, you see trip sort of sweating, like, yeah, get up there. <laughs> like, I, We're about at it. This is going to work like 95% of the time right now. Right. Yeah, I don't someone, needed a material, someone needed to materialize into that building, missing a foot. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, guys, like we're a little bit better at this. We're not that good at this. Get, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Wait, what the fuck? This, this is a Mako boot. What's this doing on my foot? <laughs> I guess the only thing is he changed shoes with someone. Otherwise, it's fine. It's like one just, guy. Just like a, just the bullet just swishes past your ear. You know, Archer has Mako feet and the Mako has Archer's feet, but his feet are on backwards. <laughs> so uh, but they get onto the station and their plan is to just rip the oxygen out of uh, where in the control station. But in doing so, they trigger an alarm and uh, immediately Perseus goes down there with some of the augments and uh, the Makos are once again uh, no good <laughs> for defending a landing party against a bunch of supermen and they are also captured. This point is when uh, Archer and party get hauled back upstairs. Makos being bitchified. I can only assume that like Major Hayes was a magic card that had like banding or something. <laughs> he was a lord that gave Mako's plus one plus one and lifelink. And his absence um, is deeply felt within the ranks. And maybe there's some some resurfaced resentment towards readers or something. But these well, they Makos, got a bunch of new ones because most of them died. <laughs> like a lot of these guys don't have experience. In space. Many, many a Mako did fall off the bridge. So, yes. yeah, true. I mean, after killing a lot of Zindi reptilians, but sure. and then definitely fell off the bridge. But uh, Archer gets pulled into, along with everybody else, into the um, the discount control center. A terrible per- sets, by the way. Terrible sets, but it doesn't matter, right? Sure. You're just not. You're not. The acting's so good, you're not paying attention. And this is probably my favorite scene, which is. Archer comes in and he sees the devastation in front of him. Like fucking Lucas has gotten the shit kicked out of him. Fox goes over immediately to help. They, they are very warm to each other immediately. He sees there's a dead body in the tube, right? Like, all right, well, this has already gone very poorly. And soon has already experienced the negative of what's happened around him, right? He's got a dead body on his hands. He's got the situation with Lucas. Lucas still hasn't given up the code. He doesn't, he still has no closer to actually achieving his goals. And now he doesn't know if he really wants to. And Archer just starts laying into him um, about 
the consequences of his actions and you know, like, what did you expect to have happened here? Right. Anytime someone feels superior to another being, this is what's going to happen, right? You're going to see them try and subjugate everyone around them and deprive them of their humanity. That's the fucking reason we stopped doing genetic engineering soon. Not because we weren't good at it. Not because there wasn't something that could come from it. Not because you're not brilliant, but because this is what happens when you make a superior man. They realize their superiority and decide to inflict it on everyone else. Duh. Have you read a book? <laughs> like, you're supposed to be smart, bro. You never read, like, never read books ever? No tragedies? This is also going to be the second time that Archer comes face to face with Adam Smasher. Last time, uh, Adam Smasher told him in advance he was going to attack him and then put him in a chokehold and bullied his way through the ship to jailbreak soon. Uh, now they meet again, yet again, uh, with violence on the table. Adam Smasher goes, OK, well, you know, one down. Let's let's try someone a little bit closer. And this is where we get a real bad look from uh, Jump to Conclusions guy. This is where HR is going to get his ass because he's been able to stick to protocol and, you know, mission above all else. We cannot let the the super soldiers out. Uh, But now that Phlox gets put in the human sized virus chamber. Oh, he folds like seven to unsuited immediately. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, don't even have to pick one of the diseases. Just, I it's give a, up. It's been a while. But there's been a change of heart. <laughs> Dr. Lucas is going off script, so sue him. I, I, again, I think this ad, the, the fact that they chose not to explicitly make Dr. Lucas and Dr. Flox's relationship romantic. Detrimental um, to this. Detrimental to this moment. I think, though, there is enough there for the wise viewer to pick up on it very easily. But I think maybe they did themselves a disservice by not making it explicit. Like that would have forgiven Doctor Lucas for his weakness immediately. Like all you can say is that Lucas and Flox are just really good friends, and he did not have that personal friendship with uh, the doctor that was executed, or that. Lucas actively disliked the doctor. But if I'm one of Lucas's other subordinates and I watch this shit happen where Lucas just cold faced the entire time, uh, the deputies in there getting nuked. He's like, no, Eric, soon this is you doing it. I'm not the bad guy here. Like, I have no agency in this. My hands are bound. I can't act in any way than I am. And then Flox goes in there and fuck my staff all you want, but leave my friendly alien to Noblian guy alone. Bad uh, bef- luck. B- before this happens, though, Archer does pull a ball- baller move because Enterprise. They contact Enterprise. It's on the intercom, and he shouts to Tapal to carry out uh, his orders, which the- they then cut off. And the orders are self-destruct Cold Station Twelve. And Archer straight up admits that to them, like that's the orders. World is going to fucking die right now. That's the order I just gave. Fuck all this. This is we cannot have this continue. With you guys, what he even says, like, you've already killed 25 people. You've already murdered 25 people. Your existence has too high a price, right? Like, can't afford this. Uh, Adam Snatcher does have a great villain line. That price could get higher. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like his hammy villainness is starting to really, like, uh, I'm starting to enjoy it. 
We also but, glossed over what was the runt of the pack? Strix, Strig, Stig, oh, uh, Snipe, or whatever. Snike, Snike uh, does disclose that he did get some of the augment juice. He's got super hearing, just not super enough to catch him coming early enough. And then, then adding to Soom's dismay, they told him that he had been sick and died. There he goes, shows up. He's overjoyed to see him because he does see the, all of them as his actual children and finds out that all of the other augments banished him because he wasn't super powered enough to keep up with them. I can't and, understate how powerful these scenes are as conveyed through Brett's like, yeah, this is a dude that's just falling out of a tree and it's he's hitting every disappointment branch on the way down. Right. First, he realized they had no uh, reserve of humanity for normal humans at all. Right. They were willing to murder them without a single showing of emotion. No problem. The only reason any of them were willing to spare the humans to do this is because he asked them to and they respect him, not because they respect life. Right. Here he had that. Here he had the realization that Malik probably uh, murdered Rakim. His confession was entirely fake because he just helped murder this doctor uh, at the, over his explicit orders. And now he comes to find out that they don't even have humanity for their own brother because he wasn't super powered enough. And they left and they banished him from the land and acted as if he had died. And it's like lied about it. Yeah. Uh, Eric soon is being exposed to the fact that he has uh, his old Sims game has turned into Lord of the Flies. And uh, all this uh, while he's doing this, he's still trying to launch his plan to hatch more of these. And it's like, oh boy, you're getting every red flag. And that's what Archer's point is, right? Like when this is happening, to say, like, why are you doing this? Here's your fucking. Someone's like, he says, you don't need to give me a history lesson. He's like, well, somebody has to. Like, come on, bro, look around you. <laughs> like, history is happening. You are doing it again. I know you don't want it to be true, but it is. Here it is. They put flocks in the virus transporter. Uh, Dr. Lucas folds like a house of cards. Again, all the other staff should be like, what the fuck? Oh, what? it's a to Paul's attempt to blow up the station also fails because they jam the communication transmission, but they actually do follow through on it. And there's some good like to Paul uh, trip and Hoshi kind of like, oh, fuck, we're killing our boss. Isn't this like the third time we've done this in six weeks? All right. Burp, 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 burp. I think the emotional callus is pretty thick at that point where it's like <laughs> you can tell they were a little bit more OK with it. Like, yeah, well, I guess this is what we do. <laughs> like, <laughs> keep trying to kill our boss. Keep failing. Um. Oh, by the way, it turns out that D12 still out there. Start causing problems because the backup plan is, hey, we can't get the self-destruct to work. All right, we'll just fly into orbital strike distance and and just hammer this thing with phasers and photon torpedoes until it blows up. Oh, wait. Yeah, that Klingon warships here. We're going to have to deviate off of that. And that gives soon an Adam Smasher a chance to win, basically. They get into the uh, where all of the embryos are. It's some real bad CG. Awful. Real, again, real bad. The amount that I'm willing to forgive just hand over fist at this point is such a testament to how good the script and acting is. It is, it is probably the worst 
green screen cutout I've seen in quite some time. It's I like what they're going for of his like awe of this room filled with all of these children. And like that he he was such a uh, so into the the genetic engineering element that he saw them as these perfect beings that he wanted to make, you know, live their lives and to take them out of the storage. But it's just like the actual cheesiness of this shot so detracts from the drama. It doesn't. It doesn't. This I talked about it last episode. There's how many? Thousands, eighteen hundred yeah. or something, twelve hundred. What's what's the total count on this? Eighteen. I, I forget if it's yeah, eighteen hundred or eighteen thousand, but it's a fucking lot. And that this guy soon, with his super intellect and his voracious reading and everything, knows each and every one of the entries on file, and of them as he planned this, this defection, this treason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, picked his 19 favorite out of all of them and said, these are the ones that I have the highest hopes for. These are the ones that I think are going to be the best. These are the ones that I want to be my direct, my first generation children. Right. Um, And I'm going to thaw them out and I'm going to bring them. So him standing in this room, surrounded by all the other ones he didn't pick, just further hammering the importance of the original 19. He brought out how much harder, the murder of his favorite by the hands of Adam Smasher was. And again, reinforcing that uh, Snike or Swipe or whatever, even as though he might be defective or whatever, still clearly beloved. And I think my favorite, my second favorite scene in this episode is as they gather them all up and they go to leave, uh, he goes back to snipe what's this guy's name because this is a good character i mean udar is his actual name so udar, we'll just call him that yeah he goes hey udar uh we're leaving i'd like you to come with me no father i want to stay with the humans right because he knows right i have no place with you like they've already kicked me out once i don't even know if it's that at this point i i think it feels more like i've been exposed to what they're doing is wrong and i disagree with your Right. With your mission. I mean, that's got to be too, part of it, too, because he's been given history from Archer. Uh, the humans, you know, turns out the humans aren't our enemies, as you've shown. And I'm getting mercy. And I, you know, I think I belong more with the humanity than I do with the the augments. And there is zero malice out of uh, Sue. Gives him a big oh, hug. Yeah. I respect your decision. And I hope you live a long and beautiful life. And it's just this real heart touching, like father-son moment where it's like, hey, you might be the run of the litter, but man, you've always been on the same page with everybody else. I think there's a secret acknowledgement from Soong that like, it's dangerous for you to come with us. Like, shit is afoot. And almost like... Yeah, I know s- this isn't going to go well. You're probably smarter not to come. You're safer with Archer than you would be with us, and I'm glad you're not coming. Yeah, that's what I, I totally pick up on that. Like at this point, Soong knows I got a fucking trial ahead of me. I don't know how to fuck him a deal with Matt, with Adam Smasher being Adam Smasher. But uh, you're making the right call. Probably. I'm, I love and you and I'll see you later. It's all the more punctuated by what happens at the end of this episode. Adam Smasher is trying to put all of the 
hostages into one room. Archer decides to take his luck and fight Adam Smasher, which if you ever watch Dead Runners is not something you ever want to do. <laughs> and this is this is the Olympics of Archer's head wounds, right? Like this dude, he get you you thought it was bad when he fought uh Sang Soong Zindi Reptilian. No, no. Um Malik takes him for a fucking ride. It is not hard. Uh and it is clear Adam Smasher is deeply enjoying this because he wanted to kill Archer the whole time. And the only reason he didn't is that was clearly a red line for what he's dealing with, with soon. And uh, now the fact that Archer has fought back gives in Adam Smasher's mind, an excuse to decide to go whole hog on taking him down. And there's a line there. And of course, fucking memory alpha doesn't have any of the good lines this episode, but it's like Archer hits him with a roundhouse kick a la quantum leap. And then Adam Smasher is like, you know, I, I was, I was wondering how I could justify murdering you. Yeah. Like, thank you for giving me the the exact reason I needed so I could Terminator throw you about the room and beat the fuck out of you. Just absolutely just crushes him. But because he's so far ahead, he decides to do a supervillain thing, like a stereotypical supervillain thing, which is not kill your enemy and instead create some insidious ticking time bomb trap and then leave and allow them to die a more hideous death off, you know, while you're not present, you know, classic error, class, classic mistake. You know, this is yeah. something augments do. They get too cocky and they do bullshit, but it's like their one weakness as much as he wants to kill Archer. And even says like, I like you, you know, like Archer has good spirit through because little does Adam smash know that, you know, this is like a sexual fantasy come true. Fox Sola, all over the place. Absolutely. Uh, he hasn't been manhandled like this since uh, Vulcan Cenobites with their super strength. But Archer's got a couple good quips and and uh, and zingers he throws out and Adam Smasher enjoys his uh, his fighting experience. Like, you know, I like you. I, I, I understand why he doesn't just break his neck and be done with him. Like, oh, yeah, it's definitely in his nature and character as we have seen to torture him with this but the real fucking raw ass payoff at the end is udar tried to help a little bit and he's kind of like on the floor kind of like incapacitated by the battle and it's like you're gonna die all of you are gonna die from every single one of the past oh they stole the diseases by the way like mal stole <laughs> all the diseases like i'm gonna take all the bioweapons too because fuck them why not right why not right they're there we got inventory <laughs> space. This literally is excuse. Like, why the it, fuck not? We might. It's a them. it's a Bethesda game, and he's like, uh, I want all of the clone. I want, I'm sorry, I want all the super soldier DNA. Also, I'm gonna get the optional quest over here, which is steal all of the viruses. And fuck it, while we're here, I want all the forks and pencils. Yeah, I'd sell them at the vendor. That's how <laughs> I'm gonna. That's why I'm gonna get thirty six thousand gold, uh, and steal everybody's clothes. <laughs> And he does say that, you know, as he's leaving, you're all going to die of diseases. I don't want my brother. Yeah, that wouldn't be correct for him to die that way. He should die quickly and then just fucking greases him by shooting him in the heart and then leaves. Just matter of fact, he's on the ground. Kill you. That's a That's complicated a decision. And I think in the end, it was mercy. Uh, he is not going to bring him because ultimately he did betray him. 
but I don't think it's out of malice that he's shooting him. I think that really is a a mercy kill. Mercy I, in a twisted sort of like under the uh, under the rubric of you mount now must die. I'm going to give you what is clearly a more merciful death because I had a previous connection to you. Sure, I certainly agree. Uh, I think but it's I'm just talking from human. Superhumans deserve better than humans. And even though this guy did betray me, I'm still going to give him a better death than you because we are better than you. That's how I took that. And in either case, um, incredibly effective ending to the episode to really emphasize how bad things could be because boy, did you ever get every intention of thinking that Udar was going to make it right? Yeah. Like this yeah. was a guy who was going to be, he was going to make it to the end. He was going to be the survivor. He was going to be the one that tried to, maybe he convinced, you know, Persis or someone else to like do something, you know, he would have been going to be the connection. He was going to be the bridge. Dead, dead, shot in the heart. No question. Done. Poor Soong, too. Again, you saw that real emotional goodbye, and that's all I could think is like. He has what, no what, idea what just happened, right? The, like He's going to have, at some point, he's going to be exposed to it. And I think it's going to have, the Udar will be the bridge, I think. Uh, it's just going to be the bridge that finally has to bring Soong over to realize um, Adam Smasher and you know, by extension, the rest of these guys are monsters and uh, he's got real problems, but we'll see. Uh, so what the episode ends, I think, with a countdown of again. <laughs> yes, containment's going to go down. This whole place is going to be just filled with diseases and you would Archer has got to try and stop it. You would think, OK, well, hey, we've got the tube that can jet one disease at a time into a contained area that they would not have crossed general virus containment with HVAC. But <laughs> before they really mastered the in-console um, improvised explosive device that became standard issue on so many Federation Starcraft, like this is really the the proto-sadistic Starfleet engineering at its finest. Well, we have finally wrapped up our discussion of Cold Station 12. So what is next? We're going to be moseying on over to uh, Season 4, Episode 6, The Augments. Dr. Soong's Augments acquire additional Augment embryos as well as biological weapons from Cold Station 12. A desperate plan is devised to use the button. I'm not going to read anymore. Uh, and this one's going to be a Mike Sussman. Uh-oh. Well... Directed by LeVar Burton. He's certainly been given plenty of opportunity to succeed here. You know, this is a good story. Got good actors. Got a good pacing. Waiting for the big payoff. Don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe, maybe we'll have maybe we'll have a nice one here. It will be a nice turn. You never know. We'll see. We'll see. We will. Thank you very much for everyone's patience as we chew on the scenery here a little bit on V'ger, please, and enjoy these these season four eps for everything we can get out of them. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>